Welcome back to episode three. three Count them is up. It three already? Count them up. It's three. Wow. Considering nobody thought we'd get past one, or at least <laughs> some of the hate mail said we wouldn't get past one. Some of it did, yeah. What is up, Gamer Nation? I am GM Chris. I am GM Dave, and you are listening to the Order 66 podcast currently the only podcast devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing, at least until Wizards of the Coast gets theirs up, but uh, it's not going to be as good as ours, you know. It, we, it's, it's just not. So, uh, you know, enjoy now and enjoy later. Absolutely. That's what, That's what I'm saying. Golly. <laughs> and you can enjoy our podcast. You can uh, download it directly from our website, which is, of course, www.d20radio.com, and you can stream it or download it for future listening. You can also contribute to the podcast yourself by going to www.d20radio.com forum and post your mind. That's right, and we've had a few listeners do that this week. Not as many as last week, but um, had a spirited discussion with D&D Rockstar, our friend, that uh, gave us some pretty good feedback. Last week with a new member, Shadow Star, who seemed pretty yes. insightful, rather insightful, and uh, we've had some uh, some questions brought up and some suggestions uh, from Shadow Star, as well as a uh, Clacky uh, out in Santa Monica, California, who's made some great suggestions that we decided to pick up for this week. And this week's episode, we are going to be discussing my personal favorite class, the Noble. Um, and then we are going to uh, move into a rules discussion in our D20 docking bay dealing with environmental ha- hazards and encounters. Ah, uh, yes. The very lowly utilized. Lowly? Is that a good? I hate adverbs. So the lazy tool of a weak mind. But they're not utilized very often in campaigns. What? Adverbs or environmental hazards? No, I meant environmental hazards. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, excellent. Well, we are going to be discussing that. I am looking forward to it. we got a good show planned, so let's get underway. And let's start uh, with, uh, it looks like we have a, a piece of paper uh, sitting on my, my console here with an imperial stamp on it. Oh, no, could it be? Could it be? It, it is. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. I have a really bad feeling about this. Oh, you shouldn't. It's a pretty postcard. This is, uh, let's see. It says, have fun, fly high, see the sky in Cloud City. It's Bespin. Look at that. Nice. Oh, that's so pretty. Ah, That's fantastic. Well, let's see here. He's written on the back. He says, uh, hello, GM Dave and GM Chris. How can he put your name before mine? Well, you know, I'm famous. Eh. We are on Bespin this week mining gas. I made a joke about mining gas, but the clones 
did not find it very funny. At least, not as funny as I did. General Kenobi found it very funny, especially when we started passing our gas to the Ugnaughts. Okay. <clears throat> we passed gas to the Ugnaughts all day, and they were also very happy, but did not get my joke. Well, that's okay. Cody, I think it's fair to say you have a pretty sophisticated sense of humor, my friend. In a, I think that's a matter of opinion, but go ahead. Okay. He says, um, <clears throat> we are only here to guard gas shipments from separatists who would like to pass their own gas from Bespin. What, what, what does LOL mean? Laugh out loud. Oh, okay, he, he has a couple of those. And uh, then he says, uh, General Kenobi says, Hi, come to Bespin real soon to pass gas. And Jeez. it's signed, uh, C- Commander Cody. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm getting ready to... I'm getting ready to agree with a few of the hate mail that we got and say that this guy is about the stupidest thing that we've ever seen on the air or anywhere on the internet. I don't know. TK hasn't been on the episode yet. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Redneck Stormtrooper. How I forgot. I think that's about the stupidest thing on the air, but uh, hopefully he has something to contribute. But I think now we have something to contribute. Do we not? I believe that we do. And we're going to start that contribution this week with our discussion of, as I said, my personal favorite of the new classes of SWSE, the Noble. Uh, we're going to be discussing some various ways to maximize ennobling in your campaign uh, from various viewpoints. Now, Dave, you've played with a couple nobles, correct? I think I think I remember the first game you were in. We didn't have any nobles at all. That was a Jedi campaign. The second campaign of SWSE, there was a noble who actually multiclassed into scoundrel later on. There, that's right. There was just the one, and that's the only that's... time I've ever played with a noble in the party. Well, you are missing out, man. I, obviously, as I have mentioned before, I'm taking part in the Dawn of Defiance campaign series that uh, the RPGA is running, and I'm playing a noble myself. And I've had the good fortune of gaming with quite a few and running other games where people are playing nobles. And it's my favorite class for a reason. Frankly, I think this is the the most versatile class in terms of, of non-combat and in some combat arenas. Um, I mean, a simple glance at the book, you can see immediately it is the most skillful class. It has taken the position of the scoundrel in previous editions or or the, the rogue in, in previous games of being the, the skill monkey, the skillful character for certain things. And more than any other class, you get you get more trained skills at first level, and you have a very large skill list to choose from. Um, on top of this, your abilities make you the perfect combination uh, of various roles. You can be a medic, a negotiator, an intimidator, a bolsterer, a bookworm, or a benefactor. And it all depends on the role you really wish to play. So we're going to talk about how you can make that role the best. Because we talk about it all on Order 66 podcast. Yes, we talk about it all. But uh, we're going to move to stat selection right now. Now, this is, seems like a no-brainer, but I want to pause and talk about it because there, there is a, a bit of thought that doesn't need to go into this. What abilities do you need to pad when you make a noble? What should your best roles go to? What should your most buy points go into? Well, charisma is, is obviously the, the no-brainer there because it, so, it relates to so much of a noble's abilities in terms of you know persuasion, deception, and gather information and such. However, that is if you're making a social noble. I would argue that intelligence is as important, if not more important, than charisma, mostly because a noble gets 
all of the knowledge skills, which are which are intelligence based, and is one of the few people that can can make those roles, which a good GM will have you make. In addition, now intelligence tends, tends to go on the back burner sometimes for nobles because they have such a high number of of trained skills they can choose from at first level. So it's, oh well, you know, I don't need that high in intelligence. I get six plus my intelligence modifier anyway, you know. But if you do have you know a plus two or a plus three, I mean that's just even more you're going to get. You can become a skill powerhouse. And considering the fact that you're not going to be wearing armor and that you're pretty squishy, that's a good thing to have. So I would recommend looking at intelligence as well as charisma when you're building it. At the very least, if intelligence isn't higher than charisma, I think it should be on par. But that's my opinion, and that's the reason why. Following charisma and intelligence, probably your number two stat should be either dex for your reflex defense as well as your ability to attack. Or, depending on the build you're making, you may want to go with wisdom, strictly because a noble is a ready-made medic. And uh, you remember, Dave... uh, uh, the one campaign you did, that was pretty much the role he held for quite some time. He was the only guy there who could treat injury. There was two Jedi's. None of them had taken uh, had taken them uh, had taken you know, the empathic transfer that where you can heal, and so he was just you know whipping out those med kits at every opportunity. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that saved your character's life. I think more than once. A couple of times, I would say, he saved my fur. Definitely, definitely did save your fur. Yes. So if you are going to go for a a medic type character, someone who uses treat injury, you may want to pump up that wisdom modifier good idea um next in line would be uh, my recommendation would be constitution because well you're pretty squishy and uh fortitude save is not something you really have much of a bonus to at least not from the class itself and unequivocally uh, you'd have a hard time telling me that strength has any real value for a noble it is most definitely going to be your dump stat um i think you can you know you're not i mean the the only time it could ever hamper you is if you're carrying a uh, a um a medical kit or a whole bunch of med packs uh, if you have an eight strength, that alone, yeah, a, a, carrying a, a medical kit in itself, that's 20 kilograms, which is well above your, your carrying capacity of 16. So that could hinder you, but honestly, you don't really need a medical kit uh, unless you're going to perform surgery on somebody. You just okay. need that pack. So, let, yeah. me, anyway. let me play devil's advocate here. Okay. What about the guy who says, well, I want to do first level noble for all the skills that I get, and I'm going to multi-class in the Jedi. Don't you think he needs some strength? That would be an exception, yes. And last week we did have our discussion talking about you know multi-classing into a Jedi. But this is if you're making a straight noble build, right? Absolutely. Okay. If you're making a straight noble build, yes, yes, absolutely. If you're if you're going to multi-class and you know obviously tailor your character to what it's going to be, that makes sense. But you know a noble, if you're playing a straight noble, they're not going to be using melee weaponry. No, hardly ever. I really can't think of a reason. So there's no point in having the strength, and uh, the carrying capacity is really the only reason you'd need it. So anyway. That's right. Speaking of pa- speaking of padding your your stats, this leads us into the next thing. Dave, what would you consider to be the best races for a noble? Twi'lek. It, really? Nah, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I can no, I can see I'm that as an excellent choice. Something that's going to give you a little boost to charisma. That is correct. Notably, there are several races that will give you bonuses to charisma and intelligence, which are going to be those two key stats for a noble. It's a trap. Uh, sir- it's a trap! Mon Calamari. Excellent to get the bonus to intelligence. Um, Ithorians, Duros, Syrians, um, are, and, and Twi'leks are, of course, the races they are going to give you bonuses to intelligence or charisma. It is worth noting that no race gives you a bonus to both. So if you're going to pick a race, pick one that's going to go with the stat you really want to pad based on the So I guess you don't bonus. really want to pick a Gungan. <laughs> no. In fact, that's an excellent point. Gungans get negatives to both intelligence and charisma, which is one more reason, noble or no, you should never 
play a Gungan. Misa never, fact. never play. No. I'll, I'll, I'll kill you, man. I'll, I'll reach through the mic right now and, and, and just, just rip the tongue out. I'll do it. All right. All right. <laughs> well, also consider a good old human. No bonuses, but again, you get that bonus skill. You're already going to be a skill monkey. This will just be just icing on the cake. And an uh, extra feat is never bad. That's right. Never bad. Love those extra bad. feats. Love those extra feats. Extra skills, good too. So, coming to the skills. What best skill choices are going to fit you are for a noble? I cannot stress this enough. If you are a noble, skills are your thing. They're your passion. We tend to associate skillful characters with the scoundrel or the rogue, but SWSU really changed that. You have so much to do with skills when you're a noble you just have so much to choose from and you you have just more ability to choose so take advantage of it you're a skill jedi so how do you allocate those skills well dave and i talked about it and you know i understand that there's variations between these two and then six of one half a dozen of the other mixes generalists but i think if you're going in terms of of real dichotomous roles for a noble there are three main roles a noble can fill and dave what is that first role that would be the face. The face. And yes. we're not talking about the A team. No, no, not that face. Although BA would be awesome in a game. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. I pity him. Maybe but I don't Mr. Pity the T face hacked into the, the game. Face is very cool. <laughs> yes, yes, Mr. T. The face is very cool. Um and the face is basically the character that's going to be focusing on the social skills. And obviously and obviously the the best skill choice in that arena is going to be persuasion. And persuasion has many uses aside from the diplomacy and the intimidation aspect. You can also use it to haggle, which is really fantastic when you're buying that illicit weaponry. Um, it can make things uh, a little a little cheaper for you. Um, so can, of course, that, that knowledge bureaucracy check. Um, but when you're when you're buying and selling, uh, haggle is, is absolutely fantastic. Uh, number two skill probably for the face would be deception, uh, depending on how honest or dishonest you want to be. But even if you're playing a hero, I think you would agree, Dave, sometimes it's really good to deceive the bad guy. Yep, agree 100%. Yep. E yes, yes. Um, number three on the list would probably be gather information. Uh, which is another excellent social skill, and you're one of just a couple. You're one of two classes that have access to that skill. And uh, then I would move into the knowledge skills. Uh, knowledge bureaucracy is a pretty easy choice, um, just because uh, not everyone gets it, and you need it to attempt to get licenses for restricted weaponry and uh, purchases, which is is very important. But I can't stress knowledge skills enough. SWSE is very strict on the fact that knowledge skills pretty much can't be made for any useful purpose untrained. And so put 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 at least you know you know uh, put put your training in it, it it'll be worth it, and obviously this is a charisma based build. Now the second uh, role I guess of the the noble that we've decided Dave would be the benefactor, and we're not benefactor. talking about Mark Cuban here. No, oh God, I forgot about that show. Okay, we're not going to call this the benefactor. Well, I guess we can't change it now. Uh, okay, well the benefactor. I'm just going to forget the show ever happened. Right. And keep in mind, guys. Dave and I are from the Dallas area. Mm. Oh. Anyway, the Benefactor is the build that's really focused on, I guess, what you'd say the medic um, or the person who sort of facilitates things for other people. Maybe this will be the noble that, that has the ship everyone flies around in because they own it. Uh, maybe this will be the, you know, the, the combat medic or, or the, the dedicated healer. Um, a number one skill I would recommend would be treat injury uh, to fit that kind of build. Obviously, you're we're one of the few who can get it, yeah. um, you and iconoclastically the soldier. But uh -huh. uh, if that's the role you want to take, take it. Um, you might want to pump your wisdom up as well if you're taking that. Number two would be your knowledges, uh, notably uh, knowledge bureaucracy uh, and uh, knowledge galactic lore, which would really allow you to provide a lot of information to the party when the time comes. Right. 
Um, on par with that would probably be pilot, especially if you're the individual owning the ship. <laughs> the benefactor often does take the role of pilot, although it's um, usually more beneficial for a scoundrel because they have access to the, the talent tree that allows them to, to pilot like a, a superstar. Um, and then probably number four would be use computer, um, just kind of an all-around build. But uh, I would definitely say before you go into pilot or use computer, if you're struggling, if you're going for a benefactor role after treat injury, just pump the knowledges up. Train in all of them as quickly as you can. Right. And Dave, what is our third role that we decided? The last one would be called the leader. The leader. And this was more of your generic uh, noble, um, kind of the person who uses their ability to uh, not only to serve as a face in some situations but and, and to help the party, but also to buff the party. Uh, whereas a benefactor um, is more party treating, you know, uh, sort of providing for the party. The leader sort of is kind of, kind of a slightly different role. In D&D terminology, I would say it's the difference between a cleric and a bard, uh, more or less. Uh, but if you're playing that leader role and you're being the leader of the party, uh, persuasion would definitely be your your primary skill. Number two, I would actually probably put as perception, uh, mostly because those skills come in real handy when you're at the forefront. Um, again, if you do perception, I would recommend putting your wisdom modifier up there a bit. Right. Third choice, probably a good toss-up between pilot and use computer, and I would definitely throw treat injury in there as a, a fourth trained skill for sure, for yeah. sure. I want to jump in uh, and say use computer. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've run so many instances where it was a great opportunity to have a use, uh, somebody who had use computer. It really, it really would, would, have been, would have been nice, yeah. I mean, and a, a good GM will always present out there for you. And depending on the area you're playing, you know, you got access to the Holonet. You know, you can, you know, making a, making a slicer is usually more the domain of a scoundrel just because you have right. that talent tree. But you'd be amazed how, how often people just don't train and use computer. And it's just, yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> you know, space opera, use it. Right. I, th- I think Dave is absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Well, after you've chosen your skills, it comes down to your feats. Now, I, I, maybe you can disagree with me or agree with me on this, Dave. I would say my primary choice for feats would be skill focus. My secondary choice for feats would be skill focus. And my third choice for feats would probably, yet again, be skill focus. Uh, just because of the fact that, I, you know, again, I do think this is a really skillful class. And it's one of those things, wow, I'm trained. I'm a great persuader. And, you know, with a feat, I can get an extra plus five in that skill. It, it really does help things, you know. And I think that skill focus should go depending on the role you want to take. If you're playing a face, skill focus persuasion, skill focus deception, gather information. If you're playing the benefactor, you know, skill focus treat injury. You know, what do you think about that, Dave? I I I agree with you, except that here again, there's no better companion than a blaster at your side. So I'd probably go a little bit combat, maybe a quick draw, something along those lines that would help. I think. I think that's a really good idea. Um, you know, considering the fact that you know combat is obviously not your forte, you have a crappy base attack bonus, you can't use too terribly many weapons. It might be worthwhile if you know you're going to get into the thick of things too, especially if there's going to be a melee character in the party, like a Jedi or a, you know a melee soldier, um, to pick up perhaps you know point blank shot and precise shot, just so you can you know fire into melee effectively, um, which really might be a good idea. Right. Excellent. And lastly, moving on to talents. What talents should you pick for the noble? Now, this is why I love the noble class so much. Yes, they are just skill monkeys, but their talents are incredible. Um, they only have a handful of talents to choose to choose from, choose from three or four. Uh, but they're just some of the best in the game, in my opinion. 
Now, if you're playing a face, if you're really going into the character, I think the influence talent tree from top to bottom is something you should just really grab everything in. Um, the ability to... I, I love presence. The ability to make a persuasion check as a standard action. People look at that and go, eh. But the benefit to this is absolutely huge, especially if you are using persuasion in combat, specifically to intimidate. And I know we're going to discuss that a little bit more, actually, when we get to our D20 docking bay. But uh, the, the benefit is, is very large there. Um, other things I, I really enjoy about the influence talent tree, um, we can resolve and improve we can resolve are, are fantastic. Um, basically, if you you know cause damage greater than damage threshold, you can just make a target just run away screaming like a ninny. Which uh, I just love for thematic reasons. Very Run nice. away! Run away! Uh, the best talents I would consider for the benefactor, obviously considering the role you're playing, uh, with one exception, I think the lineage talent tree is fantastic. Now, be careful here. A lot of people think that the connections and wealth talents are actually a little broken, just because of the fact that, you know, as a noble, you start out with almost double the starting credits of any other class. I mean, you're, you're rich as it is, but if you take wealth, I mean, you're getting, you know, 5,000 credits times your noble level every time you level, including when you take it. Um, I mean, that's, you know, you can, you can buy droids, you can buy ship, you can buy anything. And for some games, that can be how your party gets a ship. But, you know, be sure you, before you take it to check with your DM, make sure he allows it. Some do not. Um, other GMs, you know, will. will. Um, connections is a similar thing where uh, I think it's a fantastic talent, especially if you're buying illicit weaponry <laughs> for your party. Right. Uh, and again, that really helps you in that support role. Um, education, spontaneous skills, can it really allow that support role when, when, you know, nobody can make that computer use check that you were talking about earlier? Well, bam, you know, you can, you know, just pull it out of your butt when you need to, basically. Uh, the one exception to this, and I think should probably be one of the first talents you pick up if you do want to be a benefactor, would be from the inspiration talent tree. There's a talent called Bolster Ally, which basically allows you to, to give an ally a boost of confidence and move him a step along the condition track, as well as potentially give him uh, temporary hit points, which is a fantastic ability that can really help someone out if they have been moved down the condition track rather horribly. So That is pretty much it for the Noble. Dave, um, I know that you haven't had a chance to play the class yet. It is one of my favorite classes, and I'd really encourage all of you that are listening to please get on our boards at d20radio.com slash forum and tell me your experiences with the Noble. Uh, I'm really anxious to hear what questions you guys have about any of these suggestions. If you, Again, if you think I'm full of crap, tell me, please. Uh, I'd love to, to, to hear it and, uh, and discuss it with you, please. Um, and we want to get that knowledge out there. So... That's right. Thank you guys for that. Hate mail goes to gmchris at d20radio.com. Yes, all hate mail at gmchris at d20radio.com. Yes, That's right. Hey, at this point in the show, I want to acknowledge a company called Screaming Bee, who has given us a copy of MorphVox. Yes, MorphVox is a wonderful piece of software. If any of you guys do uh, any uh, gaming through Ventrilo or Skype um, or any other uh, game where you're talking through a headset, or if you're you know, making your own podcast, uh, you can uh, go to www.screamingbee.com and uh, take a free trial of this wonderful piece of software, MorphVox. And so we'll give you a little demo, about a minute long, so you can fast forward through it if you want, of what we did with the phone calls from the dark side using MorphVox. Hello? 
Uh, yes, I was calling for Susan. This is Susan. Susan, this is Darth Vader. We met in Turboshaft 12B of the Death Star last week. Do you remember me? Oh, hi, Darth. Uh, yeah, I do remember you. I don't think I really could forget. Yes, most people can't. Well, to the point of my call, Susan, I was wondering if you would do me the honor of seeing a hollow vid with me this evening. Well, I would love to, but frankly, I gotta wash my hair tonight. Your hair? But, uh, your Twi'lek? My tentacles. You have to wash your tentacles? Yes, my tentacles. I see. Well, perhaps another time, then. Sure, another time. So I can call you? No, not really. Thanks. Bye. <sighs> Captain Nida. Yes, my lord. I'll take out menu again. And so there is a little demo of Morphbox and how <laughs> we put it to use. And uh, to good use. So recommend stop by www.screamingbee.com. Give it a try. I think you'll like it. Yep. And uh, without further ado, Dave, I think we need to move on to uh, our D20 docking bay. D20 docking bay, and as usual, that's going to necessitate, excuse me, a phone call or communication to TK421, who should be ready for us this time. If he's at his post. That's right. TK421. TK. I've about had it with this guy. Hello? Hello? Okay, there's nothing better than dead air on a podcast, my friend. Oh, oh, sorry, man. Uh, how you hoes are doing? Well, uh, we're doing fine. <laughs> well, that's good, man. Man, I'll tell you what. What are you, you smoking, won't be right, man? Oh, oh, I'm on Doran. Dor- Doran? Hey, no wonder you sound like you're smoking. <laughs> oh, man. That's uh, a little oh, yeah. toxic out there, home of the Keldors. Oh, yeah, man, the crazy guys with the breath mask, but, well, they, they don't wear them here, but... Uh, well, yeah, yeah, that's their home I'm planet. Sl- it's going to be poisonous to us. Well, yeah, uh, my, 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 my CO told me to wear this stupid mask, but I don't know, it, it messes up my goatee, man, so I don't wear it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm getting by, though. We're barbecuing right now. Oh, barbecuing what? Oh... Well, they got these little rodents around here. They run around the little Keldorian rivers and such, and they have good eats, man. I'll tell you what. So tell us how you're overcoming the atmosphere without using your mask. Oh, man. I... <laughs> well, uh, oh, I trained in endurance at first level. I mean, uh, I mean uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a tough son of a bitch, man. I'm just a tough son of a bitch. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> You kill me, man. You really do. All right. Well, I'm going to go kill some rats, speaking of killing stuff. We're getting on the grill, man. I'll talk to you hosers later. All right, hoser. Take care. All right. Later, TK. And away he goes, the redneck stormtrooper. Redneck stormtrooper. And that's, I guess, what he is. But uh, the yokel brings up a pretty good point, Dave. Uh, the discussion of this week's D20 Docking Bay, where we're going to be discussing two aspects of non-combat obstacles. And I'd like to take the time to thank uh, Clacky, uh, one of the posters on our forums, who hails from Santa Monica, California. And uh, he has requested uh, a discussion about this, and I think it's an excellent suggestion, because this is, in 
and I think you might agree with me, one of the most underutilized aspects of encounters. Absolutely underutilized. I cannot remember the last time we've had to deal with something like this. This is true. And that's a shame, because when you watch Star Wars movies, when you when you read the comics, when you, when you play the games, when you look at it, they're so thematic, and they're so cinematic, and they're epic. You know, it, you know it's not just, you know, uh, stormtroopers shooting at Luke Skywalker and, and him shooting back. He's got Leia on his arm, and they're balancing on a precarious bridge, while at the same time trying to throw a grappling hook up. And, you know, there, there's a lot going on to make it into a real viable encounter, both from an adventure aspect and a storytelling role. And uh, that's what we really want to talk about today. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about is actually using the various hazards that are presented in the SWSE role-playing uh, game rulebook to add to your existing encounters. And uh, as we kind of hinted at, there's some pretty basic ways to do this, and you can just take your cues from the movies. Now, I think, I think one of my favorite scenes, I remember, Dave, you know, for a lot of the, a lot of the love and hate that's out there for the episodes one through three, when I first went to go see it in the theater, and, uh, you know, you see the Jedis, and they're, they're, they're in the ship for the first time, and you're just, oh, this is so cool, and you're sitting in the theater, this is so cool, and they release that, that dioxin gas into the chamber, and then they send in the droids to assassinate them. Right. Excellent example of environmental hazard. I mean, sure, setting your you know two Jedi's up against a handful of, of crappy droids, that's an okay counter. But if they have to hold their breath the entire time they do it, that turns it into a fair challenge. And so it's just a matter of being creative. Um, wonderful potential hazards are uh, things like a corrosive atmosphere. Okay, so if you're you know <laughs> shut out of an airlock on Dorin, for example, or if there's you know a poisonous atmosphere, you know such as you know dioxin gas, fire is a pretty common one, and one that few people tend to think about and you don't really get access to in many other systems, is radiation. Uh, radiation is a really nasty hazard that can add a lot. Um, so if you're dealing in a, you know, perhaps you're in a, a breached reactor core or something to that effect. But I do want to note that when you decide to put something in like this in, you need to take a hard look as a GM at your players and what their strengths and weaknesses are. Now, the, the core rulebook does outline CLs for these various hazards, but instead of just adding those CLs to any other threats that are in the room and just using that as a core experience, I really think as a GM you should take the time to look at your players' you know, ups and downs and see whether or not it's something they can handle. Um, if you, you know, throw poison gas at them and every single one of them has you know, an aquatic breather or you know, something that can let them you know, breathe in the atmosphere, it's not that much of a challenge. So something to look at. Any suggestions from you, Dave? I'd start by shutting down all the garbage mashers on the detention level. <laughs> and that's excellent. And it's going to move us to our, our second part of this, uh, that little that section, which is standalone hazard encounters. In my opinion, some hazard encounters that are presented in the core rulebook are so extreme that they should not be coupled with anything else. Okay, if you want to throw a dozen stormtroopers at your guys and you know have them be balancing on a ledge while they do it, so they got to make acrobatics checks while they're firing, that adds a lot, and it helps the CL of the encounter out. But there's some hazard encounters that are so hardcore, you may want to make them just challenges in their own right. And if the heroes overcome them, they should be rewarded as such. Uh, things like, for low-level characters, extreme temperature. Okay, Having your ship crash land on the deserts of Tatooine and having to trek you know, eight days to, to the nearest cantina, you know, I mean, for a low-level character, I mean, that's not very exciting mechanically. It's just, you know, uh, a skill check every now and then, an endurance check. But, you know, if you're running a heavy role-play game where you, you know, you're really have a good storyteller, that can be, you know, amazing as you describe how they, you know, barely keep from suffering heat stroke and going through. 
Um, other things like crushing damage, of course, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, can be really good standalone encounters. And the one thing that is, I had a GM try to do this to us once, and it was it was just horrible. If you decide to foist a vacuum on your players, which is a CL8, according to the Core Edition rulebook, um, they can survive, but try not to throw stormtroopers in evac suits on the outside of the hull, shooting at them while they're floating helpless in space. That would generally be a bad idea. Wouldn't you say, Dave? I would say so, and it might lead to a TPK, which it did. It, it, it did. Yes, it did. And uh, I still am very angry about that GM for, for that, but, you know, hey, it, it, it does happen. So just use your head, and, uh, and more importantly, uh, use your creativity and your love of the movies, and you can really add a lot of depth to your encounters just through the use of, of hazards. That's right. And the key focus here, and you know, I, I do want to end on that section with it, is keep in mind that adding these things, it should always be involving adding skill checks. No one ever uses skill checks. Now, this kind of ties into what we're talking about with the noble and these skillful characters. You know, make sure that your encounter is able to be overcome through the use of a skill check. So somebody who's not a great attacker is not only going to feel more useful in the encounter, but they're going to have a greater role overall. Right. And to that GM that threw us all out in space, and you know who mm. you are, bite me. <laughs> Bite us both. <laughs> and now the second half of our D20 docking bay is actually uh, dealing with um, a, a different non-combat obstacle. Actually turning combat into surrender. Now this was brought up by Clacky um, as well as a couple other posters we had. And we got one email from, uh, I guess it was Gribnub uh, up in Michigan, who uh, when, we, when he heard we were talking about nobles, he really wanted to talk about this too. Um, the persuasion skill is very useful. And uh, one of the beautiful things you can do with it, and especially with some of the talent trees a noble has to offer, is you can force a, a, a combat action into a non-combat action. Um, some of the noble talent trees will even allow you to, to make a persuasion check to force a surrender under certain circumstances, which is a marvelous way to end a fight. But even if you don't have that, a simple use and application of the persuasion skill to intimidate can make a single foe back down from a fight. Now, okay, well, just a single foe. So what? What does that matter? Well, be creative. If that single foe happens to be the commander of the stormtroopers that are threatening you, they're probably going to follow his lead, uh, GM discretion, accordingly. Um, however, if a fight has already begun, this may not be a viable course of action. An intimidated enemy would very well probably flee instead of surrender, um, as is outlined in the, the skill description. So... Uh, I highly recommend, once again, having a noble in your party with the influence talent tree to be able to to force a surrender. If you can make a skill check as opposed to an attack roll and still solve the problem and your players want to do that, allow them to do that and reward them for it just as much because it's just as difficult to do. Righto. Righto. And that pretty much is a wrap on it. Boys that and pretty girls. much is a wrap on it, yeah. We would like to thank Screaming B. And Absolutely. All our posters from the forums and uh, the few that sent us emails this week. Absolutely. And please, you can email us both, gmchris at d20radio.com or gmdave at d20radio.com. Or you can sign up and become an active poster and a member of the Gamer Nation at d20radio.com slash forum. That's right. And we've had a few requests for information regarding some minis and... Uh, specifically related to some of the new packs that are coming out. I do have an expert on the subject that we're trying to get on the show. So yes. we may digress into Minnie's talk in a week or two um, as we make it through the class discussions. 
But I just wanted to throw that out there. So if anyone else has or wants specific information about Star Wars miniatures, you may very well get your chance in the next two weeks. Absolutely. Now, next week specifically, we're going to be continuing our class discussion right through the book with a lot of people's favorite class, The Scoundrel. So I hope you all will tune in for that. And uh, with that, thank you all for listening. That's right. And now I have to go make pie. Go make pie. D20 Radio, where gamers roll www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at starwars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related websites, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Thank you.